Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together, we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Okay. Hi, this is Carla Joy Treadway from the Sense Making Podcast. Today, I have my very good friend, Natalie St. Hilaire here with me. Um, Natalie is a yogi, as well as a coach, the same professions that I have chose. And we bonded a few years ago. And I call this dear friend of mine probably weekly now for life advice, for political advice, for all things um, sense-making, really. So uh, welcome today, Natalie. Well, that's really generous of you. And I I love just talking to you every week. Um, And you make a lot of sense for me too. So it's good to connect on a podcast in in this kind of format and let other people hear what it is that we're so um, obsessed about (laughs) that we're talking about it for hours every week. I hope you never figure out actually how good of a deal I have by um, having these phone calls available to me, um, by having you in my life to speak to about my problems and and, uh, just mitigate any emotional turmoil that I'm feeling in that moment. You are a a high, high value friend. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm touched and honored that you would choose me. (laughs) (laughs) So Natalie and I actually met at a uh, yoga teacher training, uh, Natalie was running it. And I just noticed this very strong person. And I think sometimes when we meet people that are similar to us, there's almost like that anti-magnet effect, right? Or like, who, who is that? I'm not sure I like that person. Um, when really there's just like a shining light to like everything that you possess. And I think I was a little bit, uh, fearful of Natalie because of her strength. And then once I actually got to know you, you are the kindest, most easygoing person to be around. So I'm I'm glad I got over that fear to meet you in real life because our weekly calls are are really valuable. Um so I wanted to bring you on to talk to you about the things really that we talk about weekly. Um because no one really quite puts them into words uh the way that you do. And there are a lot of things that you and I are on the same spectrum um, of thought on, things that we're both thinking about and worrying about, be that um, philosophy or politics. But we're in, we're in a challenging time in, in 2022. And I think we're both in the business of serving people and helping people. And I think what you have a really special skill at is breaking down big ideas in a way that people are able to hear and process. 
And some of the things that we talk about a lot lately um, include politics, but also include, we'll call it the great divide, the great divide that we're seeing in people. And in this podcast, I love to try and find the middle path. And I think you do a really good job of that, of trying to bring two sides together. Um, what are you seeing in, in your everyday right now in, in your yoga studio with your clients and, and working with people? What, what are these two sides that you're seeing come against one another? Well, that's such an interesting question. And I do think that, um, having a yoga studio has given me the opportunity to see like a, a big community of people try to work together through COVID. Um, and I, I mean, just to be clear, like the, the experience I've had over COVID is that there are people that still won't come back to the studio. So all the restrictions in Calgary and Alberta are gone right now. There's still people that are just coming back like daily people. I'm just ready to come back now. Haven't been in a fitness studio for over two years. And then there are people that like the whole time COVID was on and we were shutting down, they were challenging me and being, you know, very outspoken about their disagreement around, you know, we'll call it government overreach or like these restrictions or these mandates and wanting me to, to rebel and to buck the system. And, um, and so I've, I've had to find a way to hold a container where all these people feel welcome, seen, heard, uh, understood and appreciated because they are. And, um, and, and, uh, yeah, it, what I've seen grow over the last two years is just like a continuing, like a division to the point where people have different information they're working with, like fully different stories about what's, what's happening and, and different understandings of what's happening. Um, and, and that these two groups of people are not speaking with each other. So the divide, if you want to call it, that is, is growing. There's no there's no place for these people to like come and, and, and be like, well, this is, here's what I understand to be the facts. What do you understand to be the facts? There's just a total, like, almost like, I don't talk to those people, like kind of a sense. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so I work really hard to stay neutral in the middle of all that. I mean, I have my own, I, I, I pretty much keep my own feelings far away from, from, um, you know, the public eye, yeah. if you will. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been wild to watch that happen and a little sad. Yeah. And as the business owner, um, you did have to, you had to mitigate the, the, the fears of the people saying that you need to do more and be stricter, harsher, these restrictions in place with the other group that is telling, you, no, this is wrong. You need to be freer. You need to open things up. You need to stand up against this. How did you make room for that? Just, just in your business, how did you find your place between those two groups? Well, in the beginning, I would always just like, I would offer in studio and online. And I would follow basically the public health restrictions and no, do no more and do no less. So um, that way I felt like I was offering people different avenues to connect with us. Like, and then when we did yoga in the park too, we did, you know, we took out assists, we took out blocks for a while. So people couldn't share objects. We put in cleaning protocols. We, we tried to do things that were just really like inclusive for a long time. 
And then, um, you know, that got a little bit more difficult around the time of vaccine mandates because um, there was no way to include, there's like a, a total group of people that I couldn't include the same way. Um, but that again, it was, it was really up to the government at that point. Um, it's been difficult. Okay, so um, tell me how you were managing that in in your business. Those those two sides that want you to do more or do less. I I mean, in the beginning, I was just really focusing on being very inclusive. So whatever people's comfort level were was, I was trying to um, find a way to meet them there. So we did online yoga, studio yoga. We did yoga in the park. We um, put an extra cleaning protocol. We took away shared objects. Um, we had people mask until they got onto their mat. At one point we had people masking while they were practicing, which was a, a government uh, mandate. Um, when the vaccine mandates came in, it was a little bit more difficult to be as inclusive as I wanted to um, because there was an entire group of people. We basically had to say, you can't come to the studio, which we had never done before. Um, and so at that point, you know, just following what the government was telling us to do for a while was, was sort of the best we could do. Um, but it's, it, I, it's been difficult to walk that line and, and to stay true to my own vision of inclusivity and equality um, and, and also meet people really where they're at and, and, and as far as what's needed for, you know, our society and what our government is saying we need to do. Yeah, so it. It, it was a challenge for me um, owning a yoga studio. We we closed for uh, the lockdown for quite a few months. Ontario had some of the longest lockdowns in the country. Um, and then when we were able to open up, what I saw was not only the divide, but also this um, big fear of people, um, not wanting to be near people or touch people. Um, also, even like, fearing other people's op opinions, you know, like, did that person make the same decision that I made? Um, and it's the reason why I, I ended up closing the business and not and not staying in it for too much longer is I was just really concerned that that divide and fear of people was going to stay. And in an industry that involves you gathering large groups of people together to breathe and sweat and touch each other. Um, I was worried. So knowing that you, you withstood the worst of the storm here and your studio is still open and people are coming back and restrictions are going away. Um, are you seeing some of that fear go away? Or are you still seeing those same those same things that fear or distrust of other people? Well, it's interesting because I think the physical fear is pretty gone. Like people are pretty quick, at least in Calgary right now, to take off their masks and to want to be around each other, at least the people coming to the studio. Um, and there's not a lot of masks in the city right at this moment. So I think people here have decided that they would rather feel comfortable around others. Um, and, and, um, that seems to be like, it's very low percentage. I'd say like 10% of the people still wearing masks where I go um, and, and basically not at the studio. But I would say with the same, with, this, with the same, I, and I don't know if people were good at this before, but the people are not being like authentic with each other. Like <laughs> people are scared to have real conversations 
uh, around, you know, hot and heavy topics. I think that's like there, there's, so there's a, a hold back in it and a fear of, of being fully oneself um, that I see. And so it's an interesting energy. I see that too. It's I, I, and it only really happened the last two years and it's not just COVID it's um, politics, it's religion. It's really any conversation that has um, any substance to it. It's like walking on eggshells now. And I, I never noticed that or felt that in, in the past. Um, there's just all these taboo issues and it's, it's really the reason that I, I made this podcast just to talk about all the things that we're really not supposed to talk about, uh, because we actually need a space to do it because bubble wrapping these issues and just refusing to talk about them or allow for nuanced conversation, it's just broadening the divide. It's, it's making things worse. It's not helpful to not talk about things or allow yourself to ask questions about issues. It's, it's, it's something um, a little concerning. Yeah, I would say I'm concerned about that particular thing. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, you know, when you have our politicians um, talking about all the hate that's going on, and um, you're not in it in a way that you're experiencing hate on a daily basis. Um, I think that it leads to a fear of like, I don't wanna be called hateful and I don't wanna find myself in the position of having said something or done something um, that's offended somebody. And that just makes for really, really, really careful conversation and, and, um, and, and fear in, in being really who you are um and and uh you know it's it's it's, a, it's a, like it's like being driven in like the social media technology space and through our political space so it's a very it's a very broad and intense feeling of of a, of a push towards self-censorship i guess right which is very different than being intentional with your language like i'm always intentional with my language i'm 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 not going to go out and say anything like overtly hateful i'm never going to call someone a name but we're in this new very strange space where if you tell someone that you're a liberal or a conservative it means this about you if you say you like jordan peterson it means this about you if you didn't get vaccinated it means this about you and we're we're trying to uh get a, an idea of a very complex human being um we're making judgments on this complex human being based on one tiny little part of them and that's brand new. Like in the past, I never cared about someone's political stance. Um, like I'm a mother, as a mother, I have friends that are like the granola types. And then I have moms that are like, quote, like normal, whatever you wanna call them, follow like um, all the doctor's orders, Western medicine. Like I can, I, I feel like I can be friends with all sorts of different people um and we're moving away from that like there isn't actually space 
for people just to be who they are, to have different opinions and to have conversations um, and not agree with someone, but still like them. You know, like I might not agree with everything that Jordan Peterson says, but I can still like the things that I like about him or I can like the things that I do agree with instead of just canceling him. And this canceling is is a whole new place. Um, yeah, that's gone are the days of, of conversation, really. Yeah, if you can get canceled for, um, you know, saying something and, you know, your intention with saying it isn't to get canceled, it, it might just be to share a thought or an experience. Um, you're just, because it, it, it's so new and it's changing all the time. I think people, it just, it's shutting people down. You know, like there's these new rules coming up all the time and, and people are like unsure. And it, it, I mean, it's really, it's happening very quickly. Um, you know, like for example, I have a girl's washroom and a men's washroom in my studio. I don't have a space, a third space for trans people. I have trans people coming to the studio. I welcome them. I, I, I really just want people to feel totally comfortable being themselves like all the time. Like that's my, that's what I feel like the studio is for is for you to feel like, Oh, I can be myself here. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and what the only reason I'm bringing it up is because like it's changed so fast. So in the time that I built the studio four years ago, I don't know if I were to build a studio day today, I might consider a third space. Mm -hmm. And I just don't have it because it wasn't on my radar four years ago. And um, I, the, it's just an example for me of how quick the culture is shifting and how uncertain we might be to express thoughts, feelings, concerns, viewpoints about it. That's right. And like the way the culture is right now, if someone found that out, that you don't happen to have a third bathroom space, how quickly could that just be taken to mean something about you and your beliefs be spun in a hateful way if we don't have conversation? Like the minute that you have conversation and someone were to ask you, you know, four years ago, this wasn't really something that we were talking about. So practically you would just have two spaces things are different now, but without conversation, we're, we're just going straight to making these very hateful assumptions about people. Um, it's like that Brené Brown quote where she says that she likes to believe that everyone is doing their best. Uh, we're moving away from that. It's like an assumption of guilt of everyone at all times. <laughs> Everybody is up to no good. Everyone is hateful. Um, and it's it's being this rhetoric is really being driven by the left more so i mean both parties are are guilty i don't want to like add to the divide but i see it more in like the educational space i see it more um from people that are ideologues um this idea of if you say this or do this it means blank about you well i think and just like to clarify or to broaden on that, because I, I do think both sides play an, a, a role in all of this, but the left, um, if, if you want to say what is the left and what is the right, the left tends to be more concerned with group dynamics. The right tends to be more concerned with individualism. And as soon as you get into 
group dynamics, that's where you're, what we're talking about is that like grouping of people and um, creating like safety in groups. So grouping somebody with um, like, if you do this, then you're this kind of person and we need to make sure everyone's safe from those kind of people. It, that's why it, the pressure for it might feel like it's more coming from the left because they just, they um, identify with human beings as a collective more than as in, more than as looking at it as, as individual. And, um, you know, it's, it, that, that, that's one of the ways I make a distinction between the left and the right. So I think that's where the pressure seems like it's coming from the left more than the right on this topic. I think I just, yeah, both sides absolutely do it. Um, I think I'm just seeing it more on the left only because it's it, it's the left that really has our educational institutions. Yeah. Um, it is what's driving corporate policy. It is what's driving social media policy. So yeah, it's absolutely true that both sides are doing it. It's just that the left has saturated all aspects of of life. So I'm just seeing that side, those polarizations more. I, I totally agree. I think that again, because we're looking at group dynamics versus individual dynamics and what you just mentioned are sort of a bunch of institutions. Um, you know, if you want to look at like Twitter as an institution that people are, are utilizing that the educational institutions, the government institutions. So, so being that the left is more concerned with groups, it's, it's really um, found a, a way to operate inside of institutions. Um, and it's it's really pushing a certain ideology in, inside those in institutions more successfully than I would say the right is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the worry there is that conversation is not allowed. And that is a dangerous thing because it is being used by politicians. It is being used to drive policy. It's one thing to disagree about an issue, but to create a culture around these ideas that say you're not allowed to ask questions, that starts leading us into authoritarianism, especially when political groups are using this. And, and that's where we get into some really tricky territory. You're not allowed to ask questions and that's really what we've seen like the last two years there are a lot of very good common sense questions that needed to be asked that weren't allowed and these questions would get you digitally erased if you even ask the question not because it was misinformation not because it wasn't true not because it was a hateful question just because it was an inconvenient question or one that didn't fit the narrative it just wasn't allowed yeah there's um it's it's um there's actually a word for in is these sorts of ways of, of stopping conversation and one of the places that it's studied um, and is in people who study cults and cult leaders. And so the one technique to get people to stop questioning and, and um, stop talking about something to get them to self-censor or even leave a concern alone is um, using something called a thought-stopping cliche. So in, as far as cults are concerned, um, a cult leader might say something like, trust the process. Mm -hmm. And 
somebody could have gotten up with a concern and they, and then the call leader says, just trust the process because the call leader doesn't want to address their concern. And it's a thought stopping cliche because it's a cliche and um, it, it just, it stops the questioner in their tracks and it stops them from thinking about it anymore and um, stops their concern from being expressed. And it uh, can, allows the entire group to continue to follow the cult leader's dictates. Um, and if I look at like what's happened as far as like COVID and um, well, COVID, for example, the I can see thought stopping cliches everywhere. Trust the science, follow mm -hmm. the science. It just, it just stops the questioner in their tracks. And um, there might be some real valid concerns on the other side of whatever that person was about to say or explain and, and they can't any longer. So it, there's just some interesting dynamics at play in our, in our culture right now that are, um, you know, if you, I just made a comparison between like a, a commonly used cliche and cults. So you've got to start, <laughs> that leads me to start to question like, okay, what is happening in our society where we're, we're losing the ability to really critically think and look at and explore different ideas and, and, um, you know, viewpoints. That's right. Cause if you don't have the middle, if you're not able to ask questions, one of two things happens. One, you either buckle down harder than ever with your position, despite evidence or new ideas coming. So you're saying like, no matter what, this is where I stand. <laughs> so that's, that's option one without conversation. Option two is you just start bouncing from one side to the other. Like, and I found myself in the early days being like that, uh, being someone that very much identified with uh, leftist politics. And then when I saw everything that was happening, I found like this like ricochet uh, effect where I wanted nothing to do with them. It drove me far, far right. I didn't want to hear anything from the left. Well, that's not really a, a great place to be either, where you're just bouncing and still uh, you're you're still closed off to information. And I'm trying to find myself again more in the middle, where I'm at least willing to hear. I, there's a humbleness there. What am I not seeing? What am I not hearing? What can I learn from both sides? Because in most things, the truth is in the middle. Whether you're looking at politics or religion or even like a, a simple event and trying to tell a story, the, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, but without the question, we're just lying to ourselves. I, I think it's an interesting aspect of humans to explore is, is what this tendency to want, you know, really straightforward answers to the mystery of life or to want to group everything and label it with language when like life is so much bigger than that. Um, you know, like I'm so much more than any label that you can put on me because I, I can shift and I can change. And it's so interesting because everything that I do, you know, t like in talking about this, I'm, I'm like, that's, I feel like that's the, 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 the mission or the value between what like the tra trans community is trying to say is like, we're so much bigger than the label of man or woman. And to, to try to just 
label us as this one thing. And it's almost like they're in, they're trying to express some deep truth about the human experience. And then it gets lost in like making up like 50 labels for gender. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really get you access to the fact that you're just like, you're, you're way bigger than any label. Yeah. And it's a bit foolish too. some of the labels that we've been putting on people, like, for example, like calling someone that is vaccinated and anti-vaxxer is the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like it, it, there's definitely no nuance there, but it, that, that's just, that's just foolish. It's just foolish. And then we're seeing too, not only to go along with these ideas, we're actually changing definitions of these labels too. People are going to Wikipedia and changing like the definition of, of what these labels mean so that we can group more people into this box. And a lot of these boxes are, are really unflattering and they're not helpful and they don't show the person. And it's just one other way that we silence dissent, we silence conversation. Um, I mean, it's it's grade school. Let's just slap a label on someone and then no one will talk to them. You know, when you had like that mean girl group of friends, don't talk to so-and-so because they're this or that. And when you're like 12, you're like, oh, okay. And you just go along with that. But as grown adults, um, to think that we're still doing that, I mean, I'm listening to... Um, a really well-known scientist in the beginning and someone slapped the label of like discredited on him. So people just refused to listen. And then I was like, well, why? What exact, what, what thing is he saying that's not true? Because that's not the information that we're getting. We're actually just getting the label. We're not having a conversation about the thing that is in question. Well, and that's, that's the trick in it that I mean, that's I mean, not to be I don't mm -hmm. want to be skeptical about people. But like, if I were a lawyer, <laughs> I was arguing a, court, a, a case in court. Um, that would be one trick I could use is to, to label something um, such that people immediately discredit whatever that person is saying. So um, that's a I think it's a technique. Right. And um, and we and maybe like all techniques when they're really valuable, really usable, come from some level of truth, you know, and it's like that truth about human beings is being surfaced that we have this like system of language that's not really compatible with life uh, it, and a way of thinking about life that's actually just not compatible with the way things actually are. Um, and the minute we label anything, we we cut down our ability to understand it. It's like language is so incomplete and we're insisting on, on diminishing everyone by, by having them so attached, so firmly attached to the labels that we're choosing to give them. Um, and then, you know, and then of course that's causing division. It's actually Krishnamurti, who's like a famous yogic philosopher says that um, the minute that you label something or that you divide it, you're doing violence. Mm. So he actually is really clear on, on, on that, you know, this kind of language and, and putting language on people is actually a violent act, which is really interesting. 
Yeah. I mean, if I were to really simplify that process too, I, again, I go back to grade school and, and, and bullying people go, even if you weren't the bully, a lot of children will, you know, not stand up for the kid that's being bullied for fear of being bullied themselves. And the bully is usually in like the cool group. So you definitely don't want to stick out. You want to do what the group is doing. And most people would be horrified to think that they would fall into that category of someone that would care what the group is thinking. But most of us, maybe all of us absolutely do. It's, we don't want to differentiate ourselves from the group. So we go along with these labels because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to be bullied. We don't want to be in the, in the uncool minority. We want to be doing what everybody else is doing. So if everybody is going along with an ideology or using a certain label, then, okay, well, I guess that's the flow of things and that's where I'm going to go so that I don't stick out so that I don't get bullied. I mean, it's a, it's a form of self-protection and, and it's here that we're really falling out of line and integrity. And it's, it's easy to see how it happens. Cause it's not like good old days where we only had face-to-face conversation. Like I, I got bullied in junior high, but there was an internet, you know, I could go home at the end of the, at, at the end of the day, and I wasn't going to get harassed by my peers on Snapchat where now both kids and adults alike are never free of these peer pressures never ever ever and it's really scary for people to think that they might not belong and even worse yet that they might get bullied and attacked even as adults and when i say attacked i don't mean you're going to get beaten up people don't like confrontation People don't like to be called out. Um, And we have like a real culture of like online bullying now. And I think it's the reason that everyone just falls in line. It it takes a lot of balls to actually say what you think and to stand up for what you believe in this online territory. I just see another paradox here. Um, I was listening to it was a very wise podcast. It was just yesterday and it was, and I'm going to forget his name. So, but you can find him because he wrote, it's either a book or an essay, very famous called the coddling of the American mind. And it's about this particular thing that you're talking about, which is bullying. And the paradox that I'm seeing is that um, the, the thing was, is that all these kids were brought up in school with like anti-bullying. Like it was like, don't bully. And and that was like a big thing. And, and that made, he was arguing in this essay, which is, you know, some years old now, five or seven years old, something like that. He, that made a generation of people that were, they were sort of like really sensitive and they were having these emotional breakdowns at universities. And he was noticing this at university um, in the 2010s, really. And, um, and, and they were concerned because it was sort of like not, making people able to deal with not teaching people how to be able to deal with these conflicts and while bullying is terrible and I never want to see it or hear about it happening especially to children there is something like sort of um 
And it just happens. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And it does teach people something about not only how to behave maybe, but also how to deal with being bullied. Um, And it's natural, I guess, to human beings. Like I would imagine it happens across all cultures and we stopped it and we, and good for us for wanting a better world. Like I'm all for wanting a better world and, and making adjustments and stopping bullying. But the argument was that it just had produced a generation of people that really did not know how to deal with this kind of like conflict. And at the same time, and this is the paradox, is that social media is coming alive and people who are willing and able to bully on social media are getting a lot of attention and they're really pushing themselves forward because there's some kind of like, it's like been repressed or something. So while we have this whole generation where we've taught them all this anti-bullying, there's like so much bullying online and and in social spaces. And so this conversation out of like, how to group people together and, and being afraid of what other people have to say. It's, it's, it's sort of like um, it's come out of that, that discussion that people were in and, and have been in for, I would say like over a decade now. And at the same time, watching technology emerge as, as a space for potential bullying to happen. It's, it's really wild. Well, and there's anonymity there. So we like to pretend that we've actually evolved as a species. Meanwhile, what we're actually doing is just trolling people on the internet. Um, I mean, I, I've gotten messages from people uh, that weren't kind and I've invited them to a conversation instead, an actual conversation, not the written word. Most people won't do it. They're, they're not capable of, of having those conversations. They, it, it's much easier to write something and, and hey, I'm not free from this. I've, I've been in a bad mood and I've gotten in and, and written something that I shouldn't have and I try and stay away from that now. Um, it's easy to do. It's really easy. And I think you're right about this um, suppression. Um, I, I mean, I agree that there, there's always room for improvement and we should always be striving to make things better and kinder and more inclusive. I think the problem is that instead of the goal being better, we have this goal being zero bullying. Um, Kind of like almost with COVID, right? Like the goal is zero illness. Like it just, it's actually just not possible. It's not possible to have zero conflict. It's not possible to bubble wrap every single word in the English language so that nothing is offensive. It's it's not a possible goal. And yet we try and we push and all we're doing is driving people to like these underground ways to um, bully people. They're like, well, fine, I'll just go to Twitter and just lambaste everybody on these accounts. (laughs) And we're not teaching yeah, if you want to get like really clear on what bullying is, I mean, it's name calling. And yeah. that would be like something that I would say is definitely bullying. Well, what is name calling? It's labeling someone something undesirable. Yeah. So what's an undesirable label that people have been given in the last few months? <laughs> I mean, it so really, there's so many anti-vaxxer, conspiracy theorists. Um, racist, misogynist. Yeah. Anytime you label so, and that we get back to that like basic stance that Krishnamurti took that any, any label, any division is violent. 
right? Nazi is a big one. Everyone, the, both the left yeah. and the right are using it. It's, it's crazy. And I like, I, I'm trying to have hope for our leaders, but when our leaders, our prime minister, when he's the one going on TV and bullying people and calling people Nazis, no wonder everyone is going along with it. We shouldn't have a leader that is, is a bully. <laughs> I mean, and I think that uh, if, if you said that to the average person, they would like not even know what you were talking about, which is like the other part of the equation here is that there's two different narratives. There's two different realities happening. There's what people generally know about that's happening. And then there's this sort of other um, counter narrative that, um, you know, some, some other people are aware of. And you and I had, I, we had a firsthand experience um, in observing that because um, we somehow ended up with a, with a group of people doing a documentary about the trucker convoy and, um, you know, in finding ourselves in that position, we really clearly were watching what they were reporting, what a lot of like live streams and live videos from, from the convoy and from Ottawa were showing and experiencing what the media was saying at the same time. And, and um, you know, it, it became apparent to me that people can't even communicate. Like the language is starting to mean two different things. And I'll give you an example. Some of the people that had not had chosen not to be vaccinated um, were calling themselves pure blood. And what they meant by that was that they hadn't been vaccinated. And the other side of the conversation, the side that was calling the people protesting racist we're claiming that that expression pure blood was white supremacist. Hmm. Now I, I have no idea where that expression started being used on the, um, on the protester side or, you know, and also like if, if you have any experience of understanding the trucker convoy, you know, that there were like many, many different people there from all sorts of different um, races and and ideas and preferences and it, it there was no one organizer it was just a word that had gotten around that um people meant to to sort of add pride to the fact that they had chosen to remain unvaccinated and um watching two groups of people be in an argument over a language that didn't mean the same thing like it's the english language but one group is using it to mean this thing and another group is me using it to mean that thing. So there's all I see there is is war. How can you ever? And it's like you can't get the two groups to just talk to each other and be like, well, no, I mean this. And the other group would be like, oh, I thought you meant this. There, there was no opportunity for that kind of a conversation. Um, and that's when I realized, you know, how really it's 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 just a sign of the times of how maybe lost we are in the power of technology to be in this massive group communication without any clarity around what each other are saying, really. Yeah, I mean, I have a nine and a 12 year old who I, I really, um, they barely get any technology. I really watch their time and I like go through their account and like look at every message. I'm, I'm pretty careful about that. Um, but it's almost like we actually never graduated from that. <laughs> like we can't, even as adults, we're not supposed to have this, this kind of power because we're not actually acting like adults with it. Um, this, this division and the, the name calling, do you, do you think it's intentional? 
like intentional coming from our leaders from up above? Or do you think this is just humans just being sloppy and just being infallible? Well, that's a really good question. And I don't know that we're ever going to know because I think anytime power is at play, anytime there's a potential for power, motives have to be questioned. Is it altruism? Is it for the benefit or the good of all the people? Or is it for the benefit of one person being in power um, that something is being done? And that, that question is just always present whenever there's a person that's in power. So we're never going to know, but I do think that we need to be better. (laughs) I do think we need to bring some um, critical thought and discussion, open dialogue, nuanced dialogue to the forefront of our society and not allow it. Mm -hmm. There's a way that you cannot allow yourself to be simplified in this manner. It's sort of like, I, I feel that if we taught ourselves and each other to be able to be more than like a label. And if we really didn't accept labels um, as like a description uh, and, and, and if we all learned that it, they would have no power. Yeah. I feel like the way that I am fighting this is, is literally um, in, in my work, in the way that I write in, in this podcast, I'm challenging myself every day to talk about the things that I want to talk about, but I'm scared to talk about. So all those things that I'm not supposed to <laughs> conversate on, that that is exactly the thing that I need to talk about. And it's been a very scary, but freeing process. Um, a willingness to stand in integrity no matter the consequences. And when I say stand in integrity, I don't mean I'm just going to go online and drop bombs and just say a bunch of things to upset people. That's not what I mean. I, I'm, I always speak with integrity, uh, with intention, and in a way that's never designed to cause harm. So I'll just get that out of the way first. Never trying to do harm. But not self-censoring, just because the culture or the mob, I can call it, just because someone is saying, I'm not allowed to speak about that. Um, And the only reason that I've been speaking about those types of things is to make others feel like they can too, because that's not the culture, that's not the space. When you have platforms like Twitter uh, canceling the president of the United States, I think we have a big problem. Um, you know, I, I, I get the intention you're trying to, again, a a zero bullying goal. You're trying to get to zero problems, uh, zero misinformation, zero bullying. It's just not possible. Um, and I think it's again, through conversation that we enlighten people like just canceling someone say, say someone actually really is like a hateful bigot. And they're going online and they're saying a bunch of crazy things. Well, canceling them isn't going to do anything. They're just going to find somewhere else to do that. And they're probably going to do it with a lot more fervor because now they're angry because they got canceled. They're just going to get louder with it. 
it's through conversation that we change people and some people may never be changed and and it is what it is uh again like that that goal of a hundred percent um it's just not possible so it's funny that people like joe rogan get attacked because he actually whether you agree with his particular stances or not he does a really good job of providing the space for conversation and he plays devil's advocate to even like his own ideas and opinions he's literally just providing the space for people to have these nuanced conversations and some people hate him for it because they're not supposed to talk about that yeah there's a protectiveness that's happening with with conversation that just never used to be there before and um you know i think we're lacking like I, I, I hate to be so minute about it, but I just, in your, in your description of what's going on, I just keep coming back to like, well, what is bullying anyways? Isn't bullying kind of canceling someone? Isn't that just bullying them? Like, because they don't agree with you because you don't agree with them, you cancel them. Isn't that like, nobody will talk to you in grade school because you're not cool enough. Isn't that this? <laughs> so it's like, we're going to stop bullying by super bullying you is what so you can't ever stop a thing by doing more of it and um you know i feel that we used to be able to we we were heading in a in a direction where people would very openly talk about the potential for real human collaboration and and really um that people's minds can be changed that the human underneath what they may have said or done is is still valuable is still a is still fundamentally good and mm-hmm. worthy of of discourse and worthy of of and I, I feel like that sentiment is still there. It's just we're we seem to be very mixed up and and unclear on what to actually do about it. You know, I I don't think extra bullying is going to end the bullying. It might suppress some things, but there's always when you suppress something, it always comes back. It's interesting because the goal for everyone seems to be that everything is a safe and inclusive space where we don't judge people. And we've never been further from that. (laughs) Um, So in this space where we're not supposed to judge people, what it actually is, is you're allowed to judge certain people if they don't fall in line with the common narrative or the common ideology or with what you want um even going so far as to judging people based on like their appearance for example i was just interviewing um trucking for freedom today and i was telling him the story about this man that i met who he looks like a biker he's large bald huge muscles tattoos everywhere big long scraggly beard you know someone like that could easily get one of these horrific labels like oh there's a white supremacist well this man went to ottawa with his black best friend and he's actually a nurse he's not even a trucker (laughs) and we're actually going back to those days of just like seeing someone what they look like and making this judgment call um i live rurally in Kenora, Ontario, and we live way in the bush. I take an ice road back and forth to my place. And 
uh, right now we're driving, um, basically it's like a quad, it's called a side by side and roads are melting. So we have to be, um, on this new equipment and there's not a lot of people doing what we're doing. Um, the only other people that are doing it are, you know, rural folk, they are very blue collar, you know, they're not wearing a suit and tie. So the other day I'm, I'm driving the side by side to town and, and I get stuck, like really stuck in this like slushy, crappy snow. And there's really no one around anymore. Well, in comes the, this other man happens to come along on his quad and like immediately jumps off and helps me. He spends all his time, like making sure that I get out, making sure that I'm safe. And I was just thinking about this experience because this man who also lives in like quote the bush like i do probably doesn't use pronouns probably doesn't speak the way that um the masses want him to speak he probably has no idea what identity politics are or gender ideology and he's not going he doesn't have the language right yet he is the kindest like give his shirt off your back kind of person who would probably help anyone were they stuck in the snow whether they are white, black, or even trans. I bet he would, I guarantee you that he would stop and help you. And it's just interesting, the judgment that we're putting on people because they don't look a certain way or sound a certain way. And if we actually just got to know people a little better, we would actually see that we have a whole lot less problems than we think. We'd actually see that we are a lot more united um, then divided. Yeah, I think that's so wise because it it just like right at the heart of the matter is like what matters more, how something looks or how it really is. Mm-hmm. The experience of being a human, like what's inside is what counts. And you can put the form of like I'm canceling you because you said blah blah blah. And it can seem righteous, but the truth is you're rejecting another human in doing that. So it's coming from the same, the same level of rejection. It's like an eye for an eye. I reject you because in what you said, you rejected some part of me. And it just isn't in our awareness right now that that's what we're actually, that's the harm we're actually doing. And, um, by, by playing that game and, uh, you know, that's like, that's how identity is actually like the the crux of the issue it's and and when you spoke about integrity you know being like the heart of that's who someone is if they say they're about love do do they do they show love to all others and if they do that's integrity right like the two things line up the thing works how it's supposed to work and identity though is like just all on the outside and this um, this game we're playing where we're chasing after looking really good, saying the right thing, being part of the right group um, and and losing the, the real looking that it takes to identify if, if we're actually being loving when we say we're about love. Um, you know, that's what's happening. And I think that's really what's getting a lot of us into trouble. Um, and, and, and what, if we could rectify that. And, and I also smile when I say that, because I think, I think maybe most spiritual traditions are really all just saying this, 
like, like look inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, are we really seeing the person? What is that person doing? Um, yeah, that man helping me on the side of the road, like he's actually doing the work. He's actually loving another stranger. You know, he probably went to like the Legion that night for beers and said all kinds of like jokes that were inappropriate. But who is he really? Who is he really? And with the social media culture too, like people just putting uh, this this forward facing identity that's not really who they are. For example, everyone putting um, like Ukraine flags um, or like the black square or whatever the causes of the moment as their um, little icon in social media. We're not actually doing anything. You're not like you're alerting the world that you care about this and that's great but we're not in the doing there actually is no doing there we're not doing anything it doesn't actually tell a story uh, about us as a person it it took no effort to change an icon yet it's like expected of us um and i think i think a lot of us are are doing those things and not doing the real work. We're not actually stopping at the side of the road to dig someone out. We're just changing a picture or changing a word or changing our language, but not really doing the thing. I heard a comment too about how like human beings have evolved to really protect their identity and how um, when we threaten someone's reputation, that can be more scary than threatening their physical body. And, um, you know, like when you think about that evolutionarily speaking, like if that's a word evolutionarily, but when you think about that, um, being kicked out of the group meant you might starve, right? Like you're with a group and they're protecting you physically and also helping you get food. So you would never want to be kicked out of the group, um, when we lived in tribes. So this reputation attack it's we're, we've evolved to protect ourselves against reputation attack. And what I'll say, like what I will note in that is it's still fear, right? Like whether I'm in fight, flight, freeze because I'm physically afraid or I'm in fight, flight, freeze because I'm afraid my reputation is about to be attacked mm. is it, it's the same, you know, it's the same mechanism. It's the same misguided way of thinking about my experience as a human is that I have to constantly protect myself. And so maybe a lot of the people that are experiencing this need to like, keep up with the the thing of the day, the current thing, um, it, you know, maybe it's because they're, it's an evolutionary aspect of, of humanity that's taking over. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not something to like explore and overcome if the goal of exploring and overcoming it is more love, more freedom, more expression, you know? Mm -hmm. It's funny that that just makes me think about this, this story too. When I still had my yoga studio, uh, we were right downtown and there's, there's a lot of, a lot of homeless in our community and almost daily, um, I would meet people, uh, I would sit down and talk with them. I would uh, give them money for food, I would go upstairs and make them tea, I'd like go outside, bring them tea. 
um, there's this one fellow who's, uh, he's, he's pretty elderly and, um, he's not mentally well. And there was a couple times where, um, I'd find him laying down in like the dead of winter and I would go and like physically pick this man up and help him to a place where he could sit down and call an ambulance to get him to the hospital. Um, and then when things started getting a little out of control with drugs in our community, um, there was more crime that started happening. You know, I was finding like needles in my mailbox, um, early morning yoga classes. There, there were some people stumbling around the studio and, and threatening uh, yoga students, you know, saying that uh, like pretty, pretty scary things, threatening to rape them. Uh, one guy had his pants around his ankles and I remember going to City Hall and saying, hey, this is a problem. Can we talk about this? This is a problem. People are scared to come into the building. And I got a lot of labels thrown on me that I was uh, racist, that I hated homeless people. And, you know, that was a really challenging place to stand to think that my reputation might be uh hampered in that way that all of a sudden i was this horrible person because i want to talk about like real problems meanwhile i was also doing the work i was also in it and a lot of the people that were pointing fingers or name calling or virtue signaling weren't there you know they didn't work downtown um they weren't face to face with these people, they didn't know them by name like I did. They they weren't also, you know, they weren't doing the work. But how easy it was for them to say, oh, like this lady is complaining. Well, she obviously doesn't care about people. It means this about her. Um, it was a really challenging place to stand and not back down, you know, to stand there and say, look, I care about people and here I am doing the work. And also, here are some problems that we need to deal with. And I'm not going to let you label me as this because I know that's not true. I know that's not true. So I'm going to keep standing here and talking about the problem. Um, it, it just it takes a lot of balls, especially when when the labels are as harsh as they are. Um, yeah, it takes yeah. a lot of backbone. It really does. And, um, you know, I admire you for that. I know what you're talking about. The very thing you're talking about is happening in a lot of big cities all over the U S too. And, um, you know, what is occurring to me as you're talking is like, maybe you had asked me, like, if I thought that our leaders were doing this on purpose, like maliciously, mm -hmm. and maybe we're never going to know the answer to that. But I think where we could look is like, what does What's the result of them labeling you? What's the result? Um, what, what happens or doesn't happen because they've taken the action of saying, well, like you're, you're racist or you're, you're um, I don't know what the word is for someone that like hates homeless people, but whatever, you're bigoted in some way. Mm -hmm. um, the result is like, they don't have to take accountability. That's right. They don't have to do the work. So. I think like if you're bad, then nothing has to change because the problem is you're bad. And that's, so I, I definitely see a deflection, whether I seem like malicious action, you know, or intent to harm, I'm not sure, 
but I definitely see a deflection and a, and a lack of accountability in, in whoever accused you of being bigoted in that scenario. And that's a problem because nothing's going to get fixed if no one's accountable. If we don't all say like, Hey, we're all accountable, but this is an unworkable situation. And how do we want to adjust the situation and make things better? Um, that, that conversation will never happen if we're all tied up and we'll like Carla's a bigot. So we don't need to listen to her. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm hearing you when you're talking, um, just the, the word accountability, then they don't have to be accountable. I mean, that that's everything that we're dealing with now. People don't actually want to be accountable. They don't want to be personally responsible for the things that are going on. That's another reason why it's easier to put labels on things or to worry about semantics. It avoids us actually doing work in a lot of circumstance. Yeah. And looking at where we're all accountable, like we're all accountable mm -hmm. um, because it's our world, right? Like you can't avoid that. Um, everyone living in your town has to deal with what you have to deal with. Maybe you might be seeing it more up front because you had a business that was like right in the middle of it, but it's everyone's town. So everyone's accountable. So I think the world becomes like a much better place when we all say like, oh, we're all accountable. Like, and, and then we, and then we say, and this isn't a workable situation. And what's a, what's another solution sort of like you and I are doing right now is like, well, we're really looking at this situation and putting ourselves inside of it. Like I, um, you know, I fully have to, like, we, you have to use words to label people to kind of get through life. Like there's a, there's just mm -hmm. a mechanism in the human mind that all of us do that. And so what we're observing is that people have gone really far into like finding the right label. And I don't think that that's causing peace. I think that's causing war and division. So that might just be like a learning, but in having this conversation, you and I are hoping that other people wake up to what we're concerned about and that we all find a different solution together. Not a solution that doesn't take care of the concerns of the people that are wanting their right label, but a solution that aligns us to like the greater truth, which is that like, ultimately it's the labeling of people that divides us, that pulls us apart. And um, maybe there's a place we can live that's like so much greater than that. And, but we would need to take, like we would need to give up that desire not to be accountable, right? Cause that's what's causing people to be like, well, it's easier to throw this label at somebody than to deal with what they're actually saying. Yeah, we, we are becoming dependent on people to protect us, protect us from uh, uncomfortable conversations, protect us from uh, language, protect us from discomfort, and, and even like with public health the last two years, protect us from everything. Like, and again, it goes back to that. I don't think it's possible to be 100% protected from everything, nor would I want that. <laughs> um, I, I think there's a way, like you said, like in the example of the studio, we do absolutely need to work together. We do need to work together. Um, but there's a difference between relying on the group and being totally dependent on those that lead us. Um, to being, to having a, a regard and a desire to 
uh, protect the collective, but also being personally, individually responsible for our actions. And I think that's where we're really, we're really losing that last piece. How can I be personally responsible and be here for the collective? How could, how do I not just be dependent on the systems around me, dependent on governance? Uh, how can it be both and? Well, I mean, that's where you're hitting on like the nail right on the head because you're starting to talk about codependency, which is the, you know, having a codependent relationship with anyone, much less our government, for me, isn't a solution to a happy life. It's it's a solution. It's a it's a, you know, it's a long studied idea that only leads to misery um, and way of being with other people that that leads to just unhappiness because there is no accountability there, right? Like, so everything that I'm experiencing is a problem because you've created it. That's a codependent relationship. Or if I don't feel safe, it's the government's responsibility to help me feel safe. That's codependent. Um, And then there's like, you know, independence, which has some accountability. Because all of a sudden, here, if I'm not happy, if I'm not safe, then it's up to me to, to do something about that that's independent, but the reality is, is we're interdependent. Mm-hmm. The trick is you can't lose the independence. So mm-hmm. what's, what I think is happening is like people are kind of falling into codependence with our government and they're losing the thread of like, but ultimately your life is your own. And ultimately, and I hate, like, I just think that this is, I always come back to this and it's, it's, it's really hard to say it lightly, but in a way I want to say it lightly, like we're all going to die. Like none of us are getting out of this situation alive. It's not a safe place. We're not on a safe planet. And, um, you know, you have to come to terms with that in your own heart and mind and still feel safe or you're going to live in fear. And, and, um, that's on you. Like, there's no one that can do anything about that for you. That's on you. Cause the truth is you're not, you're, 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 you're here for a little while. And, um, you know, and so how are you going to be during that little while? And there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole psychology around codependence and independence. And I don't know that we as humans have ever found the way to be with each other as interdependent. And that's really like, when we talk about the right and the left, I think mm-hmm. that the left has this ideal of interdependence that they are striving for this beautiful vision where we work together, where we collaborate, where we as a group manage this earth and our relationships with each other in a way that is non-harmful and helpful to everyone, inclusive and diverse. And that's the vision. But the, the, the thing is that when we drop independence, when we drop the personal responsibility, that interdependent vision becomes codependence. And, and, and I, I, what I see from the right is that they get so stuck in independence that there is, you know, a lot of narcissism there. There is a lot of like, well, I'm just going to get mine and I don't care about you. And that's the fight that's playing out. That's the, that's the war we're in. And the higher place to be is where both things are real. And if both things are real, we have to get beyond labels. Yeah, that's right. If we go too far left, we are codependent. If we go too far right, we are purely independent. Uh, Just solely independent means that we would just 
plunder the earth and never give any regard to anyone else. And that would be a horrible place to be. Uh, codependence, then, you know, we're in this um, dystopian communist society. We, we know from history that doesn't work. And what's been the interesting argument in the last two years is we completely vilified uh, taking care of oneself and, and said that the collective is the only thing that we can look at, which is not helpful and it's not true. There, there's a lot of people saying that, um, you know, taking care of yourself is selfish meanwhile what do these people do for a living is it altruistic do these people not shower and exercise before they take care of their children or go to work of course you can take care of yourself and the collective of course and it's like it, it it's been beyond me that 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 idea was forgotten the last two years no no it's the collective only and that's what people are saying their identity, but it's not actually who anyone is being. Everyone is working to make money for themselves, for their homes. They they buy things for them. They have a job that they love. You know, they're not a guard. Not everyone like think of people that went to school for art or you're a hairdresser or, you know, it's a job that you love. Is it is it the best job that you could do for humanity, for the collective? Probably not right? Like we all on some level, of course, take care of ourselves. And it is how we move forward. How do you take bold responsibility for yourself and care for the collective? It is both and. And where society is going right now is we're not in the middle. What, what I'm seeing or sensing, and maybe it's the echo chambers that I'm in, I definitely see us going way more towards codependence and and you're right it's being described as this like utopia of interdependence but that's not actually where we are uh we're leaning so far towards codependence right now take care of everything for me protect everything uh around me make sure that i'm never offended um even like the bills and the policies that are are being passed right now um, I think it's a really harmful place to be because when we take responsibility for our actions, uh, we're more appreciative. And we see this even with like little children. If we just give little children everything they want, they turn spoiled. They're spoiled. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to value things. I, I don't believe it's a good place to be to just give people what they want. It's like love and consequences. You teach someone to fish. You don't just give them the fish. It's both and. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and you're getting into some like and Rand stuff where, you know, the best thing for you is the best thing for the collective. Like the, the philosophy that, you know, if you find the thing that you're, that you're, that you're meant to do in a way, or, or that, that really speaks to you, that makes you the most joyful, that that will have the largest positive impact. So that's mm -hmm. the philosophy behind more of the right and the individualism, right? Is that ultimately that is the pathway to interdependence. And there's people that take advantage of both sides. And that's, that's more the issue is that, is that, you know, mm -hmm. and um, funny that you mentioned Jordan Peterson, because he points this out a lot. 
is this idea of like, and, and um, study, you can even look at like the hippie culture if you want to, but when you bring a group of altruistic people together, people that genuinely are there to create like the best possible situation for the group and that put their own needs aside maybe because they understand that something better could happen for everybody. You put all these altruistic people together and you say, we're going to have a community um, that's built on the group needs instead of the individual needs. Well, what you inherently end up with is um, sociopaths that join that group and take advantage of the situation. So, Mm -hmm. So it's because not everyone's altruistic. So, you know, while we don't want to live in fear, we also have to be like real. And the real is the reality is, is that those, the, the reason that those societies and those experiments never work is because there's, um, you know, there's malevolent people that, that do take advantage or they see, you know, to speak plainly, a bunch of chumps there and they're, <laughs> and they see an opportunity to, to advance their own needs because these people are not taking care of protecting themselves. They, they believe everybody involved is there for the, the benefit of everybody else. And they don't see it coming when somebody has a different goal. So, um, you know, the, the reality of being a human is, is so complicated. And, and I, and I think the further away we can get from labels, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, and you only need to look to a history book to see that a codependent society does not work. A socialist, a communist society, it it doesn't work because it's never equal. <laughs> it's never equal. Someone always is at the top taking advantage of it. And what ends up happening is there are people on the bottom that are equal but equally suffering. And then there's always someone at the top reaping the benefits. So people lean far left because they have the idea that everything will be more equal, but it actually ends up being a greater polarity of inequality. Instead of there being uh, a bottom middle top, you end up just with bottom top, Um, which is, it's happened in every cult, it's happened in every socialist society. There isn't one example anywhere where this, actually is the utopia that it's painted us. It's it's never worked. And again, when you go far right, then you end up with like capitalism that's gone too far. You have greedy corporations plundering the earth. Um, but we need to find that spot a, a little bit more in the middle if we were to move forward at all. And I even find it interesting how things like democracy even and and the word capitalism has been vilified um and maybe it's because i've i start to find myself agreeing with more uh right policies again i don't even need to label myself as right or left there's just some policies that i agree with um but i i just i know from my personal experience the things that i have worked for i value more and, and not only do I value the things that I've worked hard for, I, I value myself more. If you were to just give me everything that I needed, if you were just to hand me millions of dollars today, I'd be bored. I would have nothing to be proud of. And I don't actually know what I would do with my life if you just gave me everything I wanted. I like to work hard. And at the same time, I know that there are people in this world 
that absolutely need a hand up. So we need to have um, programs that are left and socialist in nature. And we absolutely require some sort of capitalism or work for what you got in, in order just to be good human beings. It can't be far right or far left if we are to evolve and grow. And really what you're talking about is some new form, some new system that's required to hold the possibility of interdependence. And the, and the irony for me is in looking at technology. So one of the, I sold software for 10 years and um, it was corporate software. So I'm not, I'm not like a um, person, I, I, but I do understand you know, the potential for, for software, the, the potential for technology to shape us and inform us maybe um, differently than people that haven't been in that industry. And when I look at what technology could do to make us more democratic, to make, to make things more equitable, um, to, to make a more inclusive environment for people. And it already has, like it already has, like information is totally accessible in a way that was, has never been so before. I mean, it like, I can read the same thing online for probably like pennies on the dollar, if not for total free, um, as somebody going to very expensive university. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and that's very inclusive, right? So we have the potential to really utilize this tool to, to amplify interdependence, equality, diversity in a way that would be like really, really beautiful. And what are we doing with it instead? <laughs> We're fighting on Twitter, calling each other names. Yeah. As, 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 our, as our politicians, you know, just sort of like hop on the bandwagon and lead it. I mean, look at Donald Trump, look at how he led name calling. And, and, and that was what was, you know, like him or hate him, his policies aside. Um, and I think most people are the latter anyways, that he, he was fully in there using this technology to cause um, what we're seeing now, which is just like the sort of toxic environment. And, um, you know, there's lots of other things creating that toxicity, like the structure of Twitter, like buttons, retweets, um, you know, uh, we, I'm sure there's men, there's movies about it now on Netflix. I, I forget the name of that one movie, but um, it was all about how, you know, they're, they're trying to pull our attention in. And one of the things that makes us pay attention is anger. So there's this environment that is vying for our attention on these different platforms. And if they can make us angry, they get more of our attention. So people are getting angry with each other. That's what we're doing with this technology that actually has the potential to create this vision of interdependence, of mm -hmm. real equity and diversity. Um, and so, you know, I mean, wouldn't be the first time humanity has really like failed to live up to the possibility that they are, <laughs> but, but we have, it's right there. I think it's right there. If we got serious about it and stop fighting. It's, I mean, these, these social media outlets just, just become places for us to put our stress and frustration. Um, I was listening to an Africa Brooke podcast and she was laughing because someone sent her a personal message saying that they really enjoyed her podcast, but didn't appreciate her swearing. 
And she was just kind of laughing like, okay, great. Did you really need to say that? Because I'm not going to change. So really, what was the point? And and I found myself in the same place. Uh, a friend of mine was was posting something, basically uh, lambasting Christians. And I'm I'm of the belief that everything belongs. Um, I'm not here to judge or shame anyone's belief system or personal religion. And and I didn't like what he did. Yet I didn't feel like I needed to go in there and say something because I think we think kind of like posting the flag in our icons we think we're doing something that's not conversation for me to hop into his dms or write something like oh I don't agree with this I can actually just not agree with what he's doing and I also found myself like I don't I also don't need to cancel him because I like him in a lot of other ways and yeah, I didn't appreciate what he wrote there. I didn't agree with it. And the end and the end, I didn't need to engage. Now, if he were, uh, say, attacking me or sending me like angry messages all the time, that's a different scenario, like drop those people, that's fine. But just like I said, like I can listen to Jordan Peterson and not agree with everything and still and love some of the things he's saying. Um, I think I'm just open to that. And if we can use these platforms in that way, like, okay, Natalie posted a picture that I didn't like, I don't need to cancel you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's silly. And I get that we have like limited capacity too. We just have limited capacity. You don't need to see everything, hear everything. Um, but it, it's just funny that like the one thing you say, the one word, the one thing, it just gets you erased. And it's, it's just a little silly. It's, it's actually just not necessary. And I know I've said things in the past that I don't agree with now. You know, I, I change, I evolve, I, I grow. And so do other people as well. And it's, it's kind of a fool's errand to think that we're in the conversation when we're just popping into people's DMs to express our displeasure at something that they said. It's, it's actually avoiding the real work, like actually get into a conversation with someone and also realize, you know, is that person even willing to hear? Are they willing to have a conversation? Are they willing to be open-minded? Because most people actually are not. So that's also not a very good use of your time. Yeah, well, I mean, there's like a couple things there. So there's emotional discharge. Just are you just like discharging your frustration on online and, and, and you know, as an outlet for you to be able to say things that you feel and think um, that, that that's one thing I think people are doing. Another thing I think people are doing is fighting for a certain identity to win a certain mm -hmm. thought system to win and um, their thought system, their identity and, and playing that out. It's, it's uh, you know, got that warrior energy to it. Um, and I, I, I think that there, that, that is where compassion, you know, again, like these core like principles, these things that maybe, we even have studied or learned about like real compassion um, to understand that like life is hard for everyone. Like every human being walking this planet. Mm -hmm. First of all, we just have to you, like, you, nothing even needs to happen to you. That's, babies cry because like, what is actually happening? Like here I am in this body 
I've got this awareness. Nobody's told me why I'm here, what I'm supposed to do. I'm a little cold, a little hungry. And one day I'm going to find out that I'm going to die anyways. So that situation and that position in and of itself deserves a lot of compassion, whether it's self-compassion or compassion that we give to others. And, um, you know, when people experience life through social media, there is just very, very, I see very limited capacity for compassion on those channels. Um, you know, it's, it is, it is, they are brutal right now. And, and that's, what's toxic, right. Is that just lack of any capacity for understanding and, and being with people through their suffering. And, um, you know, that's all, uh, these are, these are things that we used to know. And, 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 and I think the, the issue is technology um, and division and polarization. And um, we, there is also the potential that we come together and that we relearn and we re-know these things. And, and I do think there's a ton of people invested in, in, um, in making that happen as opposed to this, this further war. Yeah, and the solutions to the divide, the solution isn't, let's develop some new way to moderate online conversation. It actually just doesn't come from the outside at all. It comes from us doing our own internal work. I mean, I've done all the wrong things and everything that we've talked about. I've, I've thought in black and white thinking, I've used labels, I've like been a keyboard warrior. I've done all those things too. And it's only through my own self work and self reflection that I, can get to a place where I really I actually just don't want to be that kind of person that I need to actually be a better listener. I actually need to self-check self-righteousness. I need to um, hear people. I need to find myself in the middle. And, you know, maybe some of that came from it bouncing back between these two polarities, but it really is just like an investment in doing the work like this internal work that we do is non-negotiable it's essential um you know both you and i are doing like the course in miracles which has us constantly check um where am i holding a grievance where am i not um forgiving someone where am i like self-shaming or not seeing uh, like my my own role in this where am i not connecting to spirit if I'm just living superficially and I'm just living in this wild social media world, I'm just going to continue doing all these robotic, um, hateful behaviors, really. And that's that's where, unfortunately, a lot of the world lives. It's very, very surface level. And there isn't an attempt to do the work, do the work, whether it's digging someone out of a ditch or like checking yourself. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing about life and, you know, human beings, the, 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 the classical mythologies, the, the, you know, the thought systems that are ancient, um, the reason that they all resonate still today to the extent they do is because there is a truth to being a human being. And one of the truths is that um, the suffering will end when the lesson is learned. And until the lesson is learned, there will be suffering. So the, you know, the polarization and the division will continue until it creates so much suffering that some lesson needs to be heard and learned. 
and and some new way needs to be put in um, and some old way needs to be let let go of and and um, you know grievances are are a great place to start letting go of the old ways um, and and that's all internal that's all inside like you're saying so um, you know we there are there is like the law of consequence and you know the law of karma and if you listen to the the ancient yogis the karma exists at the level of thinking so your thoughts do create karma and um you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean if you do something good something good will happen to you but um it might mean like if you think compassionately you will feel peaceful something like that and um you know that is an individual suffering through all of this that you know it might just be the place that we all need to get to and and maybe that we're being called to move into and called to give give birth to in this there's a new age um, where there is material abundance and and where the game is much more at the level of thinking and the level of feeling so we might just be at the beginning of that expansion and um you know, the let go and the, and the, and the, the fall of the tower of Babel, as it were, the, the, the destruction of the old, it, it's always, um, it's always painful. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right in that this is just the beginning. I mean, I, I try not to live in fear. Um, I, I do have concerns with where we're going. I, I don't think we've we're even remotely close to learning the lesson. I I do think we're going to have to fall. Uh, I do think a lot of things are going to crumble. But then I also have this deep faith in humans. I think we will come out on the other side. I don't think we're going to come out unscathed because again that that is how we learn. Um I think the end goal is going to be good and a better understanding. And hopefully it is in that place of interdependence, but we're, we're stubborn. We're stubborn. And, and also again, if we're living surface level, like we're not, we can't come to these realizations until a whole lot more people start doing the work, doing their internal work to actually see like, what kind of human do I want to be? Because I think if a lot of us actually just reflected on that, I don't think, I think a lot of us are not actually living in integrity. I, I don't think we're actually living in a way um, that we want to. I think we're just kind of going along with the flow of things. So, yeah. So I do see a crumbling and then I do see, you know, the the great awakening coming as well. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And to consider that like, at one level, yeah, this all happening, it's all happening with other people, it's happening on the planet, it's happening in social media. And at another level, I can totally just play that internal game, you know, of, of personally, like, how am I going to create that person that I most wish to be? How am I going to live in integrity with, with myself? How am I going to be loving, kind, peaceful, compassionate, really? And, and hold that quality with others, no matter who they are, no matter what they are doing, because I understand that what they are doing is coming from a place of hurt. If it's, if I find it offensive, it's likely coming from a place of hurt um, and trauma. And there's, and, and, you know, 
again, the irony is there's so much discussion about these sorts of things. So it's, it's right there for us. All of these solutions, they aren't far away. And it isn't that there aren't people who understand. We've just somehow gotten lost in language and labels and division. And this tool technology is overpowering some of our ability to make sense of each other in the world. And, um, you know, but what I'm trying to say is like, you can always just do that work for yourself and, and, and trust that no matter what happens outside of you, um, you know, you're, you know who you are. And I think that that is like the core of, that's the core of integrity. That's the core of authenticity is like that alignment to like, really what you intend to put out in the world is what you put out into the world when that's all when that's all aligned um there there's just a a power and an ease and, and an enjoyment that's possible um and that's when you're obsessed with labels and identity and 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 the form of things and looking good you'll just never feel that so at least you can do that <laughs> as the whole thing crumbles <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, if we, I think we just need to slow down, we just need to slow down. Um, it sounds cliche, like taking, taking a deep breath in every interaction, just not moving so quickly, not moving so quickly. Um, when we see something that triggers us online, or in a conversation, or seeing a person in front of us, just taking that moment to step back and just say, you know, what am I not seeing? What am I not seeing in, in the man that looks like a biker? What am I not seeing in this policy or this ideology that's being created? Um, instead of just jumping all in, thinking that we just understand the whole picture, we understand the policy, we understand the whole picture. Um, there, there's a little bit of an arrogance there. We just need just a second, just a second. What am I not seeing? And that, you know, that, that might just create the space that we need to, um, find the middle. I, I definitely think that that would be a good start, like literally taking time and making space to see the place where, um, all the good intentions are coming from to discover the truth of what's possible of what we can create. And, um, that will, surface any real concerns right like if you take that time and uh we do have a tendency especially online to just really compress all of that and try to simplify it and make it as easy for ourselves as possible to understand and in doing that we miss a ton of nuance and a ton of truth so um it's needed slowing down is needed for sure as we um, close up this conversation here, uh, is there anything that you want to share that you're working on? I mean, I think the audience um, is getting a lot out of this conversation, and I know you're you're passionate about uh, um, this this type of work and I in identity and and codependence. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Anything that you're working on, or or even just where they could find you if they want to hear more? Yeah, I mean, check out my Instagram. Um, it's I am Natalie dot with an E and um, follow me there. I am working on a course that does revolve around a lot of the things that we've spoken about today and, and specifically, you know, the intersection of of identity and um, codependence 
and uh, also the possibility of us as like authentic and 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 integral. Um, so putting that together, it's it's been like my life's work, and really I've been working on it fairly intensely for the last at least year. Um, and and it is I I think becoming more and more a reality. But also it's it's like an art, right? Putting together something like that. Um, it's gelling. So in the next few months, I'll be announcing um, a way that we can all work through this content and, and really clarify to our own selves where we're at and what, what we can do to, to find more peace and authentic expression and, and less fear and, and, and really feel like we're making a positive difference in the world to everyone around us and to ourselves. Um, that's the goal. So I, I love to hear from anyone who has any questions, even about anything I've said. Um, I'm very open to conversation um, and, uh, you know, reach out, DM me. Um, I respond to all my DMs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me here today, Natalie. And everyone, don't write Natalie too much because I take up a lot of her time, actually. <laughs> all my questions. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Kyle. And before we go, I just want to say, like, I acknowledge your courage. And um, I have watched you really come out of your shell and, and talk about stuff that, like, I, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'm there yet to, to be, um, you know, as, as forthcoming about my own personal opinions and thoughts about things, but I admire it. And I am, uh, like, uh, astonished at, at how um, expressive you are about about things that are like politically, you know, difficult. I really admire your courage greatly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think closing the studio was um, it was a blessing in that way. You know, once I didn't have a physical business, it kind of created the space for me to be the loudmouth that I am. <laughs> Well, I love you, you being the loudmouth that you are. That is like the, I'm so glad that that happened that way. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'll, um, in the show notes, I will, uh, put Natalie's Instagram so you guys can find her. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as, um, I did and always do with Natalie. Um, and we'll see you guys here next time.